Welcome to the Thoughts of Suicide podcast. I'm Nate Glover. The idea of the show is to work towards reducing the stigma by having conversations about suicide and mental health, and to provide support to those dealing with suicide in any capacity. If you are in a suicide crisis or experiencing emotional distress, please call 800-273-8255 or text the word HOME to 741-741. All right. Welcome back. I'm glad you could join me for another conversation. Today's conversation is with Dee Dee Hairston. She has a blog titled Diva with Depression. And basically, it's just an open book of her struggles, her day-to-day struggles with severe depression. And she does it in hopes that other people with depression can realize that they are not alone, and it's okay not to be okay. And I think that is an extremely selfless act. And I invited her to come on and have a conversation with me. Dee Dee, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Oh, thank you. So let's talk about, let's start off with a blog, Diva with Depression. Uh, what is it exactly, and how did it get started? Well, actually, it's started out as um, just a fluke. I didn't know what to name the blog. However, and I'm not a diva. I'm a tomboy. (laughs) (laughs) But my daughters, I have two daughters that live with depression also. And it was three of us in the house at the time. So when I started the blog, I wanted to talk about not just my experience as an individual, but my experience as a parent. I'm living with depression and raising children that have depression. And everywhere we went, it was Here Come the Divas. So that's how my blog title started, (laughs) because it's the three of us and we did live with or still do live with depression. What inspired you to start the blog? I belong to a Facebook group, and I've always been pretty honest about struggling with depression, maybe not as specific. But I belong to a Facebook group for women. And one day this topic came up and I shared a bit of my story. And then I started getting flooded in my messenger box with people saying, oh, I didn't know that those were symptoms of depression. I didn't know that I had it. Just wanting someone to listen, someone to sort of highlight, you know, what it meant to live with a mental illness. And there was a blogger in the group also who's from the same area that I'm from. And she encouraged me to just start writing since so many people in our community just weren't aware or were ashamed to talk about it. And so I started the first one. And once I got feedback, I just kept going with it. And what does depression look like for you? Depression for me is most days it's pretty dark. It's different shades of dark, I will say. Of course, slivers of light sneak in here and there. But for the most part, it's something that's really dark to deal with between having the disease itself and the medication and the deficits and the limits. You know, some days it's not as dark as it can be, but it's usually pretty dark for me. How long have you been dealing with this? Has it been your whole life? It's been um, my whole life pretty much 
since I was about six years old, seven years old, it didn't have a name then. I was sort of quiet and didn't speak to people. Um, when I got into probably around the third or fourth grade is when a psychologist started peeking inside to see why I wasn't talking. But it wasn't until I was around 16 years old that a doctor said, well, I think that, you know, you have bouts of depression and anxiety. The severe breakdown did not come until 2005. So from 2005 until now, it's been pretty intense. In your blogs, you talked about, you know, recognizing some depression at a very early age. So what did it look like for you as a child? As a child, it could have been sleeping too much. When you're depressed, you know, you just linger in the bed um, a little longer. You don't really want to socialize. Uh, you don't want to, you know, talk to too many people. So uh, as a teenager, it was a little bit easier to deal with. And even in my younger teens, before I became a mom, it was a little bit easier to deal with because you had more people around you to sort of drag you out, you know, and make you socialize. So I will say before I became a mom, it wasn't as dark as it could be now. But the sleeping is a, a big thing and just the lack of desire to do anything that sort of stands out from the beginning till now. In your blog titled, Who Cares for the Caretaker? You talk about a lot of the pressures that you had to deal with as a young child. I was raised in a single parent household and I had adult responsibilities at a young age. I started cooking at seven. I have one older and one younger brother. So you know, get, going to school and coming home and making sure that homework was done for myself and my baby brother, preparing dinner, and if not preparing a full dinner, just making sure that the steps were taken to make sure that it was easier for my mom when she got home, paying bills, you know, on the way home from school, stopping and paying the phone bill or the electric bill. Those were things that I did at a young age, you know, when Everyone was sort of carefree. You know, before I played, I had to clean the house or go to the laundry. At the time, those are normal things. I, I, I didn't know. Well, I didn't know that not everyone did the same things, but it was just normal. It wasn't until I started to get a little bit older that I realized that this was a problem. On the one hand, it's a good thing because it taught me responsibility. But on the other hand, my childhood was chipped away. So it was pretty intense for myself and my brothers at most times, uh, m mostly myself and my younger, my older brother. It was tough. And you believe that additional stress contributed to your depression? I think so. I think so. My mom, as, as I did not find out until I was um, hospitalized the first time, also suffered with depression. And so a lot of the things, now that I look back, a lot of things were her depression acting out. So, you know, her lack of desire to do more than go to work. Um, when she came home, she didn't want to do stuff or she didn't want to socialize or, you know, different things like that. I now know those were signs of her illness um, as well. You mentioned the year 2005. What happened in 2005? 
I was working in corporate America for a company, I'll uh, leave nameless, <laughs> and the pressure started getting intense. And so I started to struggle with not wanting to get up to go to work, um, not wanting to be there. I was also being sort of harassed by management at this time. And so I went to my doctor and the first time I went to her and discussed this with her, she signed me out for a month because she realized that it was that severe. Then once I went back to work and it wasn't getting any better, she was my first primary care physician that sort of took this seriously and had me start to go to therapy regularly and get on medication regularly. Unfortunately, it didn't help, you know, as far as maybe if I would have been able to stay home, <laughs> you know, it maybe it, it would have helped. But the constant pressure of work and then also I had two children. So I was, you know, being mom and PTA and soccer and, you know, all, wife and all of those different things. I think they just started, started uh, balling up together. I started uh, getting lost going to work. I started to not care about my appearance. Driving was sort of erratic outside of doing what I needed to do for my girls and, you know, the, the basics. I didn't have any desire to do anything else. So by the time 2006 came around, it all came to an head and I was hospitalized with a nervous breakdown. And during this time, did you have those thoughts that you just did not want to live anymore? I did. I did. And to be honest, I still do to this day. At that time, I never had a plan to exit life. But I always felt like maybe the world would be better without me. But mostly it was ending the pain. Taking these medications and, and living like this is painful. And that's most of us would think about the fact that death is peaceful. You know, it's an escape from the pain. Um, but being a mom, you know, I sort of squashed those. <laughs> so that's what kept me going, my, my kids. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot because you often hear someone say that they really feel like the world would be a better place without them. But really what they're doing is they're taking that pain that they have and they're just transferring it to their family and their children. Exactly. And would you say that your children is the number one reason why you keep going? I think so. I recently became for the second time an empty nester. So that was my identity. Being a mom has been my identity for 28 years. It's been what I do. And so while being a mom, I can sort of put the, the monster aside and participate in life. Now I'm faced with the challenge of I don't have to be a mom anymore. You know, so it's sort of now I have to find a new identity, find things to do. So that's becoming difficult. But you're still a mom, though. I'm still a mom. I'm always going to be a mom. It's the role playing, sort of. I don't have the day to day. 
responsibilities of being a mom. So now I'm dealing with the monster and its cousin, <laughs> so to speak, you know, trying to find the desire to find different things to do. So you're not only there for your children day to day, but you're alone in a house. I mean, that has to be depressing sometimes in itself. Yes. And, you know, I was actually hospitalized in 2018 after I lost a loved one. And I never paid attention to the emptiness thing. You know, you hear people say, oh, you know, when my kids leave, I'm going to run around naked. I'm going to go and do what I want to do. And, you know, all of those things. So I figured, you know, well, that's just what people do. I never knew until the psychiatrist said to me, for someone that's already struggling with depression, having an empty nest is pretty intense and it's common. I had no idea. I thought everybody liked having an empty nest, you know, up until that time. It's an adjustment. One of the things that I strive for is to lessen the stigma on conversations about suicide, depression, mental health. And part of the problem is there's a lot of misconceptions. So when it comes to depression, what are some things that people just get completely wrong that you would like to clear the air on? Everything. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> well, pick a couple. <laughs> One of the things is that you're sad. You know, it's, it's a bad hair day. The Mets lost. It's so much more than that. I always tell people that not only is it an illness, but I believe that it's genetic in some cases. So, you know, it's a double whammy. The second thing is to think that depression is or mental illness is just always laid out. You know, you're always laid out and dark and sad. It's not. Uh, you put that mask on. And you, I, that's uh, something that's sort of in my tagline also, the mask of depression, because I socialized, I, I did all those things while I was depressed. So it's not always one of the uh, analogies that I use is, do you watch the peanuts? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pigpen has the dirt that follows him um, everywhere. <laughs> you know, right. that's not depression. You don't have the dark cloud, mm. the noticeable dark cloud following you. Or that we're lazy, you know, or that uh, we're not trying. Those are some huge ones because it, it doesn't look like that. I think one of the myths for me is the idea that you can just choose happiness. Um, I don't think that's a choice. You didn't choose to have depression, right? Oh, most definitely. You know, people think it's a faucet, sort of. You know, that you can turn it on and turn it off. And I get angry um, a lot of days when people say, oh, just go outside and get some sun, take a drive, or, you know, uh, you create your own life and you create your own outcome. Right. Because I think if it was just as easy as going outside and getting some sun, nobody would have depression. Who would choose this? Right. Who would choose this? I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. So. That's a huge misconception that we can choose to turn it off. Yeah. Let's talk about medication. Uh, because often when you get on a new prescription, it takes a while for it to kick in. And sometimes it may not work. Sometimes it may make you worse than you were before. And 
I'm sure it can be frustrating and stressful to find that right medication, if any, that can help you. Have you had experience with that? Yes. People can't see my face right now as I rolled my eyes. Um, (laughs) One of the problems that I'm dealing with is I have severe treatment-resistant depression, which means that nothing works. You know, if I walk into a new psychiatrist's office tomorrow and he or she gives a list of 50 medications, I've probably taken all 50 of them since 2005. And so there is no magic pill. It is trial and error. It is, um, some can last six months. In a lot of cases, it takes six weeks for you to start to see the effects of a medication. By that time, you're going to your next checkup. And if you say that it's not, you know, you're not dancing through the fields and they're going to change it again. And the side effects are brutal for a lot of these medications. They make you tired. They give you headaches. Some of them can cause delusions or, you know, insomnia, which is a big thing for me. Or even thoughts of suicide. Or thoughts of suicide. Yes. So you have to be very, very careful. A lot of times when I'm reading stories of people that have uh, chosen suicide as their peace, I always look at their their medication that they say that they're on because there are so many of them that if you're not watched carefully, it can spiral, especially in children, because they don't know what to look for. At least us as adults, we can read the literature and, and you know do the research, but when you have children, they just take the pill that mom said take, and they, they don't know. Yeah. So I lost my brother to suicide in 2006. He was 19. And I often think, man, if he could have just been on something, if he could have taken medication, he would still be here. But I don't know that for sure. It's, there's a chance he could have never found the right one. Is uh, your brother why you started this podcast? Yeah, ultimately, yes. In the years following his death, I didn't like talking about it. I didn't like talking about him. I didn't like talking about suicide. It took me a while to find healing enough to talk about it. So part of the reason why I wanted to do the podcast is really, you know, to help with my own healing, because I believe grief is never done, right? Never, never. And also, I want people to know that whatever they're feeling, they're not alone. And that's why I have guests like you to come on and share your story that I know people can relate to. And additionally, I want to educate those that don't know a lot about depression or mental illness. You know, I want them to hear you describe what it's like for you. Right. So that others can understand. Because it wasn't until I understood my brother, it wasn't until I understood the pain he was going through, it wasn't until I understood why he ended his own life that I was able to find healing. Yeah. So it's, it's not that much different than why you're doing your blog. I want to share my story in hopes that somebody can relate and know that they're not alone. But I also just want the conversations to happen. Conversations around depression, suicide, and mental illness need to be had. I think a lot of people are ashamed that they are 
living with this illness sort of makes you feel like there's something wrong with you. You're missing something. And, you know, we're all missing something. We're not all perfect. Nobody's perfect. I think that shame is a huge thing. That's what made me start talking about it. As a Black woman, I know that it's tough for Black and Brown communities. We don't talk about those things. We have the generational shame, generational curses. I mentioned my mom. It wasn't until 2006 when I was admitted to the hospital that I found out that my mom suffered with depression. My grandfather suffered with depression. You know, my grandpa's sisters suffered with depression. I had no idea because nobody talked about it. And so I think, like you said, the more we talk about it, the more people realize that they're not by themselves. It should be as normal as going to the doctor for your heart or, you know, diabetes or weight, which is another side effect of the medications. <laughs> um, but it should be normal. Yeah, that's another issue that I struggle with because my mom, for years, I've tried to get her to see a professional to get some treatment, maybe some medication. And sometimes she'll listen to me, but then the next day she's upset because she thinks that I'm saying there's something wrong with her. And I'm like, that's not the case. I'm like, Mom, I'm, I take medication. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly normal, just like any other you know, physical ailment you would have. So I really appreciate people like you who are very open about their own mental health struggles with no shame. Because it is so important that people hear that they are not alone. My mom, um, it's frustrating the same way. I'm not taking any medication. And every single time she goes to the doctor, the doctor tells her that you, you know, you have depression. And she knows the signs. She knows the symptoms. She knows that this is what she's struggling with. But she's not going to talk about it. She's not going to take the medication. She's not going to go to a therapist. So that's why, you know, with my daughters, I make sure that they know, go to therapy if that helps, you know, take that medication if it helps, do whatever it takes to feel better. We have to talk about it. We have to. I, I don't think we're going to get any, I don't know how old your mom is. I won't say how old mine is, but she's over 70. And I don't think that we're going to get that generation to change any. So we just have to start taking the reins for our generation and the next, the following generations. Yeah. Let's talk about the following generations because you've shared a lot about your children and the mental health struggles they've dealt with. Can you talk to me about some of the challenges you faced as a parent with children with mental health struggles? The challenge that I faced is like most of us, my oldest daughter, well, both of my daughters started showing symptoms in their teens. So of course, you know, like I said, if you're coming home and you're taking a nap, that's usual for a teenager. You don't pay attention if it lingers. The, the socialization, my, my oldest daughter, it was tough for me because I think initially I thought that it was just teenage angst or growth spurts. And it was so much more. So I was 
living with a mental illness, I was sort of upset with myself that I didn't catch it sooner. By the time uh, she had her suicidal episode that I knew about, uh, when we got to the hospital and the nurse talked to me and the doctor came and said, well, we can't send her home because this is her eighth time trying. And I remember just like falling back against the wall. Like, what do you mean eight? How did I miss eight? And this time she had to come to me to tell me that the, what she did. Had she not come to me, would I have even noticed? I, I thought she ate something bad and that's why she was sick. So the myth is, is that if you live with a mental illness, that you'll recognize the severity in another person? No. And I tell people where you see one, you see the others. My daughters and I are extremely close. So that was tough for me. Man, I can't even imagine. And then shortly after that, it was your youngest daughter that had a similar situation. My baby was her first year in college. And of course, I'm talking to her every day. Uh, she was, you know, she just said, oh, I'm, I'm overworked. You know, you figure it's their first year in college. They're stressed out. They've never been in this environment before. Or I can't get a job because, you know, so I need money and, you know, just different things like that. And, you know, I got the call that she was in the emergency room. And when they called me from her dorm, I says, oh, my goodness. When I talked to her yesterday, she sounded like she had a sore throat. So I'm just thinking that she had a bug or something. And so when I called her sister, they're six years or seven years between my kids. My oldest knew right away. So I guess that she had shared more with her sister than than me because they're very protective of me, I should add. So, you know, but yeah, and the youngest was more severe than the oldest. I mean, she had a plan. She had a place. All of that. As a parent, you want to make sure that your kids never want for anything, never suffer for anything. And I know that's impossible because your grandparents teach you that suffering, you know, makes you strong. I never would wish that amount of suffering on them. And so to this day, I'm very protective of them. Now I start to see their triggers. You know, I know if someone gets quiet, check in a little bit more. Thank God that they're more open with me now. So they know that they can call and say, I'm struggling. And we can all sort of talk through it together. I know that not everybody has that. So it's tough. It's very tough to watch your kids suffer with something that's not, you know, like you can't put a Band-Aid on that. <laughs> you can't drink a hot toddy. It's this silent monster. Not their fault. Now, my daughter always tells me, you couldn't just give me the thighs and the good looks. <laughs> you know, you had to give me this. Too. <laughs> so um, it's tough. But thank goodness I'm not the closed-minded generation. I'm, I'm an advocate. Yeah, you touched on something that I was getting at earlier when I was talking about you're still a mom. Yeah. You still have a role in their lives. They still need you. Yeah. And now with your blog, you're impacting other lives as well. But what about you? Are you finding that your blog is helping you just as much as it is helping others? Honestly, 
that's the thing that gets me going. That gets me up every day. I'm going to share with you that I had a miserable night and I had therapy this morning. Then I was supposed to, you know, attend a workshop at like three o'clock. I just slept through it. And what I set my phone, because I knew I had to talk to you today, I set my phone and that's what made me get up, put on a little lip gloss, get some coffee, because that's me. You know, if I know that I have to do something for someone else, then that's just my personality. I neglect myself, but I take care of everybody else. So I would be lying if I said that I don't see that it helps other people. I know that it helps other people. The flip side is that it can be kind of hard to kickstart it some days. Mm. What kind of feedback do you get from your readers? Amazing. Amazing. It makes me cry a lot of days. Sometimes when I, you know, if you catch me on the wrong day and I read something and someone, I shared a story last week about a young man that I met when I was inpatient in 2018. And he follows me on Instagram and and we check in with each other. And he just said, you're such a light. I'm so proud of you. And that touched me because I, when I met him, we were both in this space that uh, you can't even imagine. And to know that he will check in to let me know that he's okay. And to, to let me know that what I'm doing is still helping. And some days, like you said, you read my blog. There are some days when I'm writing or posting that I am just like this morning at four o'clock, I posted that I'm tired of living like this. And even that, which may worry my family, is an inspiration to other people because they know that they're not alone in that fight. So true. And I'm so glad that there are people like you doing this, just putting their own personal issues out there in the hopes to help others. For those that want to check it out, the blog is divawithdepression.wordpress.com, but I will put a link to it in the show notes. And Didi, you're also on Instagram? I have Facebook, I have Instagram, I have Twitter, and I just started TikTok. And they're all the same, D-I-V-A-W-D-E-P. Okay, I will put those in the show notes as well. Okay. Anything else you'd like to share that we maybe we did not cover? Keep going, even if you do one thing a day, as long as it's meaningful to you and it, it gets you out of bed, even if you have to stay in bed, just do one thing and keep going. And I say to you, thank you so much because this is a sensitive subject. Yes. So keep talking. Yes, you as well. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure.